0: Welcome to the Veterinary Business Matters podcast brought to you by Oculus Insights. Here we will discuss topics related to veterinary business management. From small to large animal, this podcast strives to give you the insight and tools to help you improve your veterinary business. Oculus Insights, supporting businesses where great people want to be. Hi, it's Mike Pownall from Oculus Insights. Welcome to another one of our podcasts in the COVID-19 Resilience Guide for Veterinarians. I'm really, really excited about this podcast I had with Marie Holowaychuk. It's the first time I met her. I knew her reputation, looked at her stuff online, looked at her um, webinar she had just uh, completed on COVID-19 and you know her focus is on wellness and mindfulness and and really helping them Uh, let's call it the emotional mental state of us in the veterinary profession and um you know i think it's a it's a kind of as we talk about in the podcast something that we really never talked about as veterinarians or in the profession even 10 years ago and as people like her that are really bringing it to the forefront and uh i think you know i learned a lot from this podcast uh i was writing a zillion notes as i was recording it and chatting with her and we could have chatted so much longer but we only had a short period of time so i really hope you enjoy this and and please uh tell your friends about this this resource guide it's our, our mission really is to help veterinarians get through this pandemic and get out the other side stronger than they expected and, and ready to take on our next challenges and to thrive in the future so enjoy Hi, and welcome to another of the Oculus Insights podcast. This is all part of our COVID-19 Resilience Guide for Veterinarians. I'm very honored to have Dr. Marie Holywaychuk, another fellow Canadian. Marie, is you're a veterinarian, you're boarded, and I'll let you explain all about that because your journey is incredible. But really what I find amazing is that you're just focused on mindfulness and self-care for veterinarians and the veterinarian team, and I just think that's such a, you have such a unique voice, so so welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Mike. It's a wonderful pleasure to be here.
0: So, tell us a bit about your story. You graduated from uh, vet school in 2004, but then you had this very circuitous route, accumulating degrees and board specialties and moving here and there, teaching, so it's quite an illustrious career. I was kind of reading your bio, and I was like, wow, I'm feeling kind of shamed. <sighs>
1: Uh, yeah, probably how I feel when I read the veterinary student applications these days. Yeah, it's it's been quite a crazy journey, but it's I think every everywhere I've been has brought me exactly where I'm meant to be. And I decided to do an internship in small animal medicine and surgery after I graduated from vet school. I had grown up working actually mostly in my mom's companion animal practice just in the town where I grew up and uh, ultimately just really wanted to you know explore other avenues and and, and spread my wings so to speak so I, I did that and it was during my internship that I really fell in love with emergency and critical care as a specialty so I did apply for an emergency and critical care residency And that took me to North Carolina State, which was quite an interesting journey for me as a Canadian. (laughs) Um, It was quite different living in the southern states for three years, but I loved it. It was an incredible training experience. And as you said, I became board certified thereafter. And um, I had a real and continue to obviously have a real passion for teaching. So I accepted a faculty position at the Ontario Vet College and was assistant professor there of emergency in critical care for five years and just loved it. you know I loved you know being in the clinic with the students, training interns, training residents, having graduate students doing research. All of it was incredible but all of it was also a recipe for burnout and um, it didn't take long for me to really start to see the physical and mental, health ramifications of burnout because you know that was 10 years ago now before i really had had gone on this journey of self-care and mindfulness and everything else as you mentioned. So, it took me some time to really recognize what was needed in order to continue to do this work full-time, especially work that is intense as emergency and critical care. And you know, in the meantime, I I opted to leave that job and to move closer to home. So, I came back here to Calgary and started life uh, as a self-employed entrepreneur and continuing to speak and travel and provide consulting in the field of emergency and critical care. Um, But, you know, that burnout just kind of kept creeping up on me and um, I had to make some, some really profound changes in my personal life. And those changes were so transformative for me that I just felt really called to share them with the profession. You know, this was about four or five years ago when we really started talking about suicide and mental illness in the profession. And, you know, rather than always speaking on emergency and critical care at the conferences, I started promoting lectures on on wellness and self-care. And it's just grown enormously because we have grown so much as a profession in the last few years and recognizing these problems and more importantly, really focusing on strategic ways to address them. So I hope that's the nutshell of the introduction that you were looking for.
0: That's a great intro. And as I was listening to you talk, you know, going back 10, 12 years to the late uh, aughts is like, we didn't really talk about burnout and we didn't talk about self-care. And that must have been a a very courageous time uh, for you to have to sort of go through that and and forge the path that you did, but also just must have been very overwhelming. And I'm sort of making a bridge in terms of where a lot of people are now, and this is you know, really the, the purpose of our discussion is in terms of the stresses that we're getting with this COVID-19 pandemic, from practice owners to associates to everybody in, involved in the profession. This is incredibly uncharted water, so I think this is really valuable to have your insight into this. You gave me reference, and I've reviewed and, and really, really enjoyed a webinar you did recently, and I'll put the link in the podcast notes for it but really i think you know when you start you talk about if you don't take care of ourselves how can we take care of others and i think that's sort of the theme that comes throughout all of your presentation your webinar it sounds like an obvious statement but boy it packs a lot of punch when you start adding all the other things that come to be part of that so wonderful stuff So, what are you seeing now? You're talking to vet practices, you're talking to veterinarians and part of the the healthcare team. What are some of the stresses and concerns that worry you about where people are going during this pandemic?
1: Yeah, you bring up so many great points, Mike, and you're right. This is uh, vocabulary that we didn't use, uh, you know, ten years ago. But thankfully, we are in a place where we can talk more about these issues and and have the vocabulary and the tools to be able to mitigate them. And this couldn't come at a better time because, as you said, people are struggling. Um, what I'm seeing with this pandemic is just a wide range of of difficulties, you know, from the level of the practice owner who may be struggling financially, you know, to keep the business afloat and to keep employees hired and not have to let individuals go, but to also keep employees safe and to not put them in harm's way when it comes to their own health and wellness. And, you know, then it trickles down from there. We've got hospital managers and oftentimes in conjunction with the ownership team and the associate team who are having to really on the fly come up with protocols around managing clients, managing the the staff, adjusting the caseload, adjusting the scheduling you know it's certainly one thing to go to having appointments by distance and doing phone communication and and this that and the other but inevitably that adds on time to an appointment and so when you add on that time to the appointment and you cut down the number of appointments in your day that that can be very stressful from a business management perspective so we've got all of those nuances that are entrenched in here. And then really, at the level of the team, we've got individuals who are now having to balance coming into work as essential staff members and essential services, providing these essential veterinary services. But on the flip side, their whole personal life has been turned upside down, because if they have children, there's now no childcare, no school, they might have a partner who's lost a job. And so they might be having carrying an extra added financial burden. role in the hospital also may be at risk if if it's determined by the higher ups that you know that they need to scale back on on team members there's just so many things involved you know from a from a personal and professional wellness standpoint and then of course all of this Really boils down to at at one point or another, many individuals experiencing these situations of of moral stress or moral distress where they're in a situation where they just feel, you know, they're doing something they shouldn't be doing, whether it's having to help a client. You know, for example, I was speaking with a, a colleague of mine who. They had a phone call from a client who had tested positive for COVID, was supposed to be isolating, their dog was in distress. They needed a, a euthanasia procedure facilitated. And and how do we do that? How do we accommodate that? How do we safely get this pet into the hospital? Is this a situation where we can safely allow the owner to be present? Or do we deny the owner being present for the safety of the team? And then what sort of moral conflict does that create within us, recognizing that Gosh, if we were that pet owner, of course, we would want to be there for our pets, you know, euthanasia procedure. And so just, you know, that's just one example. But, but there are a myriad of examples where, you know, we might be in conversation with clients, and we might not have proper personal protective equipment. And or we might be even interacting within our team and within the team, um, you know, especially in the context of emergency and intensive care type of situations where we're really all standing very closely with each other surrounding this.
0: There are no boundaries there.
1: Yeah, exactly. Physical distancing goes out the window. So
0: yeah, yeah.
1: just lots of factors that are involved, Mike, uh, when it comes down to it.
0: And we talk about moral stress, and it's such a prevalent uh, problem in our profession, because, you know, we, we just see so many situations, we often have to check our own moral compass of what we're doing. But, you know, how is this going to play out in a couple of months, or even a couple of weeks when, you know, as the financial hardships affect people, people are going to be less likely to be able to do the procedures that they want to do. And as the veterinarian, as part of that healthcare team, It's going to be tricky uh, when we we aren't able to do what we want to do, or we've had owners, clients had, you know, before it was like, hey, money's no object, do whatever it it takes. And now we have to cut back a little bit. And and sometimes the animal will will lose out. And I, I think that's going to be a challenge.
1: Yeah. And I think it already has become a challenge, you know, talking to my colleagues who have been working over the last few weeks, just as the pandemic has started, I mean, you know, we've all seen the unemployment rates and how much they've skyrocketed and they're speaking with clients who simply do not have the funds that they have unfortunately had to make tough decisions about postponing surgeries or not pursuing surgeries or choosing euthanasia because their current financial situation is that they've they've lost their job and they don't know if and when they're going to be reemployed or their anticipated financial situation whereby you know their income is diminished and they don't know when or if it will pick back up again veterinarians are already being put in those morally compromising situations and i agree with you i think it's only going to continue and probably worsen over the next few months
0: and then i would think the other burden that we're, we're getting especially in larger teams because there's a diverse viewpoint or opinion on what are appropriate measures we can take. I've talked to enough colleagues who are like, you know, I talked to my staff and you know, we're, you know, in Ontario, we're an essential service, but it's urgent. So what's the definition of urgent? Mm. Everybody has a bit of a lever of, you know, what the range is. Then you want to be a good team player, but maybe personally, you're like, maybe we're doing a bit too much. I worry about the effect on that over a period of time, because one thing is, hey, I'm, in, I'm immersed, I'm taking care of an animal, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but we're also exposing ourselves and increasing the risk of being out there as be a carrier or to, be, to catch the disease. I see that as a building stress.
1: You're absolutely right. And and I'm, you know, already seeing that as well in conversations with with different colleagues and friends of mine who are associates and or locums and or practice managers. And because the guidelines are so gray, and there are not definitive stipulations in in terms of what is an essential service versus what is not, it really has been left up to the individual hospitals. And so there are hospitals who are continuing to do vaccinations for owners that wish their pet to have the vaccine vaccinations because they feel, well, if it's of enough concern to the owner, even though, you know, from a scientific perspective, an adult dog who's had multiple vaccines through its life probably has sufficient immunity such that it could wait, you know, a few months or however long until this pandemic lifts, obviously a different situation than we're talking about puppies who have no vaccinations and we don't want to have a carbovirus outbreak on our hands or something like that, in addition to what we're already experiencing, but I've even seen it go further than that in terms of spays and neuters and, um, you know, some practices making the case, you know, we don't want to utilize our personal protective equipment to do routine surgeries because we don't know how long this is going to go on for and whether or not we're going to have access to that equipment, whether or not the human health care. Industry is going to be, uh, you know, so overwhelmed that they're going to need to have priority access to that equipment. Um, so so taking a more conservative approach versus other practices who are saying, well, you know, we don't want animals going to their first heat cycles or overpopulation to be a consequence of this. So we're going to continue to do those surgeries. And I think when it comes down to it, just as you said, each individual is going to to have their own limit when it comes to where their moral compass sits. So that's what makes developing those guidelines so difficult. But truly, truly, it has a a very profound impact on the well-being of the team.
0: So do you see a new kind of... Oh, I'm trying to think of the right word. You talk about compassion fatigue. We talk about burnout. We talk about moral stress. Well, we don't. You talk about it quite eloquently. Is there a new kind of crisis stress that is unknown to us or that's going to have to be squeezed into this box of all the other stresses and fatigues and burnouts that we have that, that, you know, our shoulders are only so broad? (laughs)
1: Yeah, no, I'm chuckling a bit only because there are so many terms already and it's so many phrases to unpack. I think we are already using some of these phrases interchangeably and incorrectly at times. And so to think of there, you know, being yet another layer, um, it's a bit overwhelming to me, you know, as an advocate in terms of where does it fit in and, and, and is it necessary? Um, I'm not sure, you know, there's there's other layers to all of this, you know, in terms of post-traumatic stress. And, and everything else. I, I haven't come across anything in the context of a pandemic and specific psychological ramifications with regards to that. There's certainly well-being ramifications um, in terms of the you know isolation aspect, the financial uncertainty, the uncertainty of the pandemic in and of itself. When will this end? What will it look like when it does end? I think that these are all still things that we deal with on, on a human level and certainly on a professional wellness level. Um, but in this context of this current pandemic, everything is just heightened. Yeah. Um, so it's not so much that there's new things that we're experiencing. We're, we're just experiencing some of them to a much higher degree and some things, of course, that some individuals would not have experienced before.
0: It's interesting I was just going to bring up generational differences because you know you hear the stories about people that survived the depression; it changed their outlook for their forever. You know, I'm wondering if maybe older generations are a bit more resilient. They've they've got experience they've seen the ebbs and flows yeah this is more than an ebb and flow but you know we know there's a cycle and things will come out i feel particularly upset for the millennial generation because they are right smack dab in the middle of the great recession just 12 years ago and now they're going through this again so it, it's i just can't imagine what kind of effect it's going to have on the, on that generation so we've talked a lot about you know, the challenges. And I think they're obvious and and known to all of us that are in the profession. But can we start talking about how do we manage it? How do we mitigate it? You know, you, you talk a lot about self care. So I wonder if we can spend some time just, you know, talking about what you recommend to people now in terms of how do we mentally get through this survive, thrive in the best possible shape that we can.
1: Yeah, no, it's 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 a great great place to go because you know it's one thing to talk all about the issues and we could talk all day about that, but um, in the end, we we do want to arm ourselves with the tools that are going to help us to be able to continue to practice and and to maintain our resilience and and bounce back, of course, when all of this is over or while it is still ongoing. And there there are a lot of tools and I wholeheartedly, you know, can't can't express this enough how it always starts with self care. And you mentioned it beautifully at the beginning of the podcast whereby, you know, if we are not caring for ourselves first, we are Not going to be able to look after everyone else. And and weeks ago, people started reaching out to me when this was all unfolding. And they said, you know, people are going to need your help more now than ever because of what we're going to be facing with this pandemic. And, you know, what advice are you going to be giving to them? And I said, look, like the advice doesn't change. It just becomes even more important. Um, people can, you know, step in and step up and, and, and do all the new protocols and pick up extra shifts and um, work the longer hours and, and, and do everything that they think that they need to do in order to serve their clients, serve their patients, serve their teams and serve their businesses during this time. But if at the same time they are not also amping up their own self-care strategies, then they are simply not going to be able to sustain that level of work. So, what is self care then? A lot of people have a misunderstanding that self care is the equivalent of coping strategies. So, I hear people all the time saying, you know, my self care is coming home from work, pouring a glass of wine and watching Netflix. And it's not to shame anybody who, who does that as part of, you know, their routine or their habits, especially if they've had an exceptionally awful day at work. But it's important for people to recognize that those types of exercises are not actually health promoting. And if they are not health promoting then they are not actually self-care. So self-care has to be in the interest of promoting our well-being, whether it's emotional, um, intellectual, physical, financial, occupational, you know there's many dimensions of wellness and so there's many facets that require our attention. And self-care is really done with the intention of building up our reserves over a long period of time so that when things do get really difficult or when times are incredibly stressful, that we have the capacity to bounce back rather than getting home and being completely incapacitated to the point where all we can do is sit on the couch and drink wine and watch TV.
0: Got a quick question on that because you 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 mentioned several factors that go into self care and you know one of them you caught me was was financial and it 's going to be hard for people to have that financial self care so the, the question i have this just hit me as we were talking is can you do more of another so let's say i 'm going to do more of a, a mental care or health care more physical care well Can you do more of another to balance out where it's going to be a deficiency? And, you know, when the economy is where it's going, there's not much we can do. You can accept where your circumstances are, but you're not going to make money out of nothing right now.
1: Yeah, I agree for sure, Mike. And when I talk about financial self-care, it may not be, you know, making more money or getting a side gig or what have you, but it might be looking at the money you have and thinking to yourself, okay, like, where can I cut back? And that's one of the beauties of isolation is a lot of people have cut back. Um, People aren't going out as much people aren't spending as much people aren't driving, they're not having to buy gas. So there might be situations where people are in a position where they need to sell some things that they have that they're not actually using, and that perhaps they don't need, or, you know, set up a virtual meeting with a financial advisor to really look at their situation, and how they can plan moving forward. There's a lot of people who have haven't filed taxes, you know, in a couple of years, maybe now is a time to get in front of that to look at the benefits they could apply for to, you know, so I don't want to completely disempower people and say, because we're in a pandemic, financial wellness goes out the window, because, you know, I think that there are a lot of things that individuals can do. But but to go back to your question um, or your suggestion whereby we might you know, kind of plump up some of the other pieces of the wellness pie, so to speak, by focusing on other dimensions, um, I think it's important to make sure that people recognize that each of these different dimensions of our wellness or our overall well-being, that they don't necessarily have to be equal. And, and many people out there are already very, very good at one dimension. For example, physical wellness. A lot of people exercise regularly. They are eating well they're getting the appropriate amount of sleep that they need each night, they're taking precautions to utilize hand hygiene and and to protect themselves. So, so that's great. I think what's really important, what I often share with people in my workshops and in my lectures is to really look at those areas that maybe a person had no idea that that was even necessary for their overall wellness. So um, to think about social connection, especially now, social wellness is arguably one of the most important, you know, humans are very, social creatures. We are so lucky. I think if there's one thing to be grateful for in the pandemic and the time that it's hit us is that it's come at a time of technology. So we have FaceTime, we have Zoom, we have Skype, we have Capabilities of staying visually connected to individuals, even if we're not physically connected to them, um, but to be able to keep in touch, and so so fostering that, as you said, emotional wellness. Absolutely, you know, we need to look after um, how we're managing stress, how we're managing our feelings, certainly how we're managing our mental health. Once again, the good news is is we have a lot of services in place whereby individuals can undergo canceling virtually, and so you know there definitely are other areas that people can focus their efforts on but i would not you know completely dismiss any of the other dimensions just because of the current state we're in i think i think i could make an argument for every single one of the wellness dimensions even in the time of covid-19 i think that we can still find something to to foster in each one of them
0: that really helped me that helps clarify things you also talk about unhealthy boundaries and I think we all get that, but I worry about are we going to get more of those now? Because I think about the, you know, more client bullying behavior. I've been hearing more and more stories of, hey, we're all underneath yeah. a lot of stress. Our fuses are probably a lot shorter than we'd like it to be. And clients just losing it on technicians or a doctor or receptionists. I think the the, the flip side of the boundaries is because of social distancing, we have such a huge boundary. Do you have any tips for people of how to manage the boundaries? How do they set those boundaries?
1: Yeah, it's such a great point that you raise, Mike. And, and I've heard the same horror stories. I had someone email me a couple weeks ago and say that their clients were, were just, just as you said, they were losing it. And how could they protect their team? And and I said, it's quite simply a matter of boundaries. I mean, many businesses that you walk into, you know, you see signs on the door that say abusive, verbal, physical behavior will not be tolerated and services will be denied. Veterinarians are such kind and compassionate individuals, um, all veterinary team members, techs, vets, receptionists, it doesn't matter. We all have the patient's best interests at heart. And so too often our boundaries are too soft and we put up with a lot of of um, what I consider very inappropriate behavior from the clients. And so it really is a a verbal boundary that needs to be asserted. And and we need to recognize that boundaries come in many different forms. So yes, there are those physical boundaries. And I don't think anybody can argue with those at this point in time. Um, You know, your clients have to stay outside. We will come to your car and, and take the pet into the hospital. And then we'll be conversing with you via phone. I know that there are some hospitals that are making exceptions in circumstances of euthanasia, whereby if the owner is willing to wear personal protective equipment or um, a mask, at least, so that they're not putting anybody else at risk and that there would be, you know, an extension set, you know, to the catheter so that people can maintain that 6 foot separation you know i know that there are some compromises being made but when it comes down to appropriate treatment on the part of the client to the team for me that that's a non-negotiable that's a hard limit and that's a hard no it's it, it, if you cannot treat us and speak to us with respect and understanding, um, then services are going to be denied. Now, that's certainly not my go-to initial tactic. That's kind of the bottom line where it rests on. But when we are communicating with clients at a time like this, where emotions are running so high on the part of both the team and the client, first coming at it from a place of compassion and empathy is so important. So having compassion for this client who is probably terrified about what's going to happen with their pet. They're scared not to be there and present during any examination or procedure. They are perhaps feeling guilty that maybe they waited to come in because of everything that they've got going on. Maybe they are fearful that they are not going to have the finances to pay for whatever is needed. Um, They might be embarrassed. They might feel judged or shamed. So if we can open our hearts to see what they may be going through and if we can express that in an empathic statement, you know, I can see that you are scared or um, I can see that you're frustrated. I can I can see that you're reluctant to let us, you know, take Fluffy with you. We are all navigating through this new time um, together and we want to do what's best for you. And also we have to keep in mind what's best for our team. So I hope that you can meet us in the middle and, you know, we'll do our best to keep you looped in throughout this process. But at this point in time, this is the best that we can do in order to keep everyone as safe as possible. You know, there's various other ways that you can phrase that. Um, But ultimately, I think that that expression of compassion and, and empathy, which really helps to sort of communicate our understanding of what the client is going through, can really help to bring those emotions down.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. I want to spend a little bit more on self care then I want to shift over to talk about you know how the team can help each other so can you explain um, and help me understand more and I'm sure other people listening the relationship between self compassion and mindfulness
1: mm, yeah so self compassion at a time like this is incredibly important you know I think anybody who's in the veterinary profession most of us are are very, very high achievers. We've gotten to where we are because we've pushed ourselves very hard. And so inevitably when times get tough, our inner voice can get a little bit tougher, you know, to just kind of like that inner coach that's, that's really propelling you forward. Um, But what's really important to recognize is just, as you've said, you know, repeatedly, these are unprecedented times. These are very difficult times. Even if you live through the great depression, nobody's lived through a pandemic, at least not, not in our lifetime. Uh, The vast majority of, I mean, unless you're over the age of 100 and you live through the flu pandemic in 1918, this is a new experience for all of us. And so having a compassionate understanding around that. So with self-compassion, there's three pieces to that puzzle. The, the first piece is to speak to yourself not not as a as a coach trying to push you forward or be hard on you, but, just as a good friend would speak to you. So if you are going through an exceptionally difficult time, which we are all going through an exceptionally difficult time right now on, in one way or another, um, what would your friends say? How would they support you? How? What advice would they give you? Um, the second piece is the mindfulness piece. And so that mindfulness piece is really being present to everything that is coming up at this extraordinarily difficult time. What are the thoughts going through our head? How does it feel in in our body? Is our jaw clenched, our shoulders hunched, or do we feel like we're holding our breath like all day, just waiting for the next bomb to drop or news release to come out. Um, and in recognizing that and being present to that, we're not judging it. We're not trying to make it go away. We are simply noticing it, observing it, maybe, um, you know, recognizing what it is. And then not getting pulled into a story or a rumination or a catastrophization around it. Okay, so we're not latching onto it and hanging on to it. And what if this and what if that, because that's going to pull us into the future, or it's going to suck us into the past. And we want to stay as present minded as possible, just being with what's coming up, knowing that what is happening for us right now is not going to be what is happening for us later. Um, But we don't need to think about later because we're focused on being in the here and now. And again, not getting wrapped up in everything that's going on. So
0: is that a little bit like, you know, there are things you can control and there are things you can't control. And yeah, yeah, I I have found a couple of times with myself since this has started is, I mean, I have had a few black nights Like where it was dark and you're like, but then also you're like, you know what? Turn off Facebook, shut off the news. You know, you get addicted to this news cycle, as you mentioned, and you get caught up in other people's drama and tragedy and it is tragedy, but sometimes you just got to say, you know what? I can't control that. I can control me. Uh I can be more aware of what's good for me. The mindfulness, I guess, is what you're talking about. And this is not good for me.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the beauty of the mindfulness practice, Mike, is that if, if you are being present to, to the things that are coming up and then you start to notice what they're coming up in association with, whether it's, gosh, every time I check Facebook, I get into this state of anxiety and my heart's pounding and my ears are burning and I get irritable with my kids. You know, again, we're not judging, we're just noticing, but then from there we can make a conscious decision and response to you know what maybe i need to pull back from how much news i'm taking in maybe i don't need to be watching the national news before i go to bed at night or maybe you know i'm going to limit my my news feed to um only reputable you know cdc news broadcast or who um youtube videos or whatever world health organization so that i'm not exposing myself to potentially inaccurate news feeds that are out there on social media. So you're right. Absolutely. It can change the way that we behave and it can change the way we move through our life. Um, The control versus no control for me, that's, that's a a stress management tactic and that's an incredibly helpful resource as well. And I think that's a really important take home that, that occurs independent of self-compassion and mindfulness. And really for me, just as you had shared, it is really, Choosing to focus on only the things that you have control over, because we cannot control this virus, we cannot control what governments are doing to control it, we can't control the scientists and and their ability to fast track a vaccine, you know, we, we just simply can't control those things. But what we can control is how we spend our time, how we look after ourselves how we communicate with others, how we stay connected with family, how we look after our health, where do we put our energy, all of those things, all the decisions that we make on a regular basis, we have control over that. Um, I do want to go back to just the third piece of this, compassion. Um, and that is uh, this whole idea of, of a shared humanity or a common humanity. And, and for me, this is just a beautiful piece that is perfectly enunciated during the time of a of a worldwide pandemic because. There is not a person on this planet right now who is not being affected in some way, shape or form by this pandemic. And so that idea of recognizing we are not alone, I am not alone, I am not the only one who is struggling, we are all suffering in some way, that really helps to enhance our ability to be compassionate with ourselves because we recognize this is a part of being human this is something we're all going through. It's not easy for any of us. Um, and it just really softens that versus when we feel like something is just totally unique to us in our world and nobody could understand at all what I'm going through. That's just simply not true. And and we might not be experiencing the exact same things. You know, um, if you don't have children, you might not be experiencing a lack of child care. If you're not pregnant, you might not be ramping up to deliver a baby in a hospital in the midst of a pandemic. You know, we, we all have our things that are, you know, subtly unique to our circumstance. But I can guarantee you that there is a person in the world somewhere who is in a pretty similar circumstance to yours.
0: I had never heard of this before, but I, I quite I quite like that, that humanity. And I was reflecting on something that happened to me personally the other night is forget the pandemic, it's the politics, it's just, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world that's been kind of ugly the last few years. And it's... As you said, sometimes you got to take a deep breath uh, to carry on. And you get so caught up in life, you're busy running a practice, being a vet, what have you. And then the other night, I was just, I got down into a YouTube wormhole. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, but you know what it is, that common humanity is that there's great music. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, my appreciation of music is back to where I was when I was 13, 14, and discovering music for the first time. Is, you Mm -hmm. know, there's some music that is created before I was born that is so powerful and it's like this is the good of both humanity so that sort of gave me the motivation to like you know what life is still at the end of it all pretty good we'll get through this uh, humanity has demonstrated that over and over again so thanks for that I love that so a few questions in terms of our teams, and that is because, you know, we've been talking a lot about how we take care of ourselves, but we are part of teams and in vet practices, we're pretty close, we talked earlier about when it's ICU, I mean, it's there are no physical distancings. there's none of that, it's we're all pretty close. So what does a team member do when they see another team member really struggling through this?
1: Great question. And it's a question I get asked a lot and, and, you know, people will often reach out to me, you know, I want to help others and I want to, you know, share and, 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 Look after the well being of my team. And I always tell them, you know, you first have to start with yourself. So, first make sure that your health and wellness are in check, that your self care is where it needs to be, that you're taking all the steps you can to keep yourself as well as possible. And very often, what ends up happening is that individuals, when they are setting such a good example for others by really investing in their own self-care and their own well-being that has a, a trickle- out or a trickle-down effect whereby others see that they're inspired they're impacted they start to ask questions they engage in conversation and um, you know pretty soon e- everyone is is taking that on and that's especially true for organizations whereby the leadership are very invested in health and well-being because that really helps to create a culture whereby focusing on well-being is an Endorsed or fostered or supported by the organization. So there's no longer a shame around leaving your shift on time to get to the gym or not checking work email on the weekends because it's simply not expected when you're not in the hospital or whatever it might be. So, you know, depending on what your position is in the hospital, there may be different ways that you can look out for your team members, so to speak. For, for those team members who are really on the front lines with each other in the trenches, so to speak, working together, let's say a, a, a technician and another technician who may be working alongside each other and one person notices that the other person is off um, or not themselves. This is one of the beautiful things about addressing mental illness stigma, which is something that that governments and other organizations have done such a good job of, of over the last handful of years. Um, having a conversation, opening up a dialogue, letting a person know that I'm here for you. I care about you. I've noticed, you know, I'm concerned for you. I, I've noticed these changes and, um, you know, I just, I, I want you to know that I'm here to have a conversation if you need it. Now, depending on what that individual is experiencing and the severity of what they might be going through, that individual who is asking them and checking in and showing concern may or may not be able to help them. And so it's really important that practices have reached. Resources that are available and widely advertised or shared amongst the team so that team members do know where to go in the event that they need mental health support. So that might be in the form of an employee assistance program, that might be in the form of some other regulatory body and, and assistance mental health and otherwise that they provide. They might have some resources that would have to be paid for by the individual, but they're relatively inexpensive and readily available, like some of the Um, electronic counseling services that I mentioned or alluded to earlier. Well, I think it's important that we all embrace this culture of, you know, openly talking about what we're experiencing from a mental health perspective, just like we would talk about a physical health perspective. You know, somebody says, gosh, you know, I'm, I, I just can, can you give me a hand I'm lifting this dog? My back is just really bugging me today. We talk about that so openly in the hospital, but yet a person who comes into work, who let's say is really struggling with anxiety around all of the uncertainties of this pandemic, we're just not quite too a place yet where people can come in openly and say, gosh, you know, I, I'm not sure I'm, I'm in a place where I can really interact with clients a lot today because I'm feeling super anxious. My anxiety is just really flared up today. You know, could you step in and maybe take over that role? I would love to be in a space where, where that was more embraced and, and just common. We didn't even have to think twice about it. And I think we're getting there. But until we do get there, there's going to be probably smaller, more private exchanges that take, Place whether that's team member to team member or supervisor to team member, um, however that looks, but that we are. Talking about it as openly and honestly as we can, that there is no judgment, um, that there is the same extension of support that would be provided to a person with a physical ailment, just the same for uh, a mental health ailment. And, you know, essentially that those team members know that that they can, can talk and they can share and they can have access to support if they need
0: it. So it might be the one great thing that comes out of this pandemic actually is a heightened awareness of this, what you were just describing. And if that is something that we can keep afterwards, it's as easy to say, you know, and I'm just not mentally up to it today, just like my back's not up to it. That would be a huge win. So, I mean, there's got to be something good out of it. So this has been an exceptionally great conversation. I've gained a lot of insights. I've written a lot of notes for myself. There's things I've taken back to help myself, but also to help my own team. Any last words of advice, anything that we should have talked about that we didn't talk about?
1: I think you did a great job of facilitating this, Mike. I think we touched on a lot of really important points and, I leave with the same optimism that you just shared. You know, I do think that there is going to be good that comes from this, whether it's changes in our lives that you know allow us to better look after the planet, to better look after each other. Who knows what it's all going to look like in the end? Um, what I do know is that it's not always going to be this way. Yeah. And so I think sometimes we find ourselves so entrenched in our current situation. And and I did share that it's important to be present. With with what's happening, but to also in, in practicing that mindful awareness of, you know, being in the present moment, every moment passes just like every other moment. And so this too is going to pass and, and there will be new moments coming in. And I do agree with you wholeheartedly. I think those new moments are going to carry a lot of good and beauty with them. And, Again, we don't know when this is all going to end, but I look forward to seeing you know what's, what's on the other side because I, I am optimistic that, that good will come from this.
0: You couldn't have said it any better. I just want to stop right there because those were great words. Thank you very, very much. This was wonderful.
1: Oh, you're so welcome. No, it was my pleasure and very easy conversation. I think you, you know, you picked perfect things to chat about. So I think definitely we talked about some things that I don't think a lot of people are openly talking about. So I think that that'll be really good for the listeners.
0: Great. Thank you. At Oculus Insights, we care a lot about animals, but we also care about the health of the veterinary profession. Our goal is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success.